As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. And welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot-Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. How are you, Nancy? Good, honey. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here with you. Good to be. Where are you coming to us from? I Right now, I am in the conference room of our new studios. You know, we were planning on being back in the studio today with you, Nancy, um, but our guest can't be with us live in the studio. So uh, it was still easier just this one last time to be from remote locations. Um, so hopefully that works for everybody because we're excited to have our guest and we couldn't, we couldn't have him in the studio because um, he's too busy doing things on a different coast. Uh, right. And of course I'm talking about the fabulous Jesse A. Saperstein, who's been on the show with us before, but it's been a, it's been a month, right? It's been, well, no, it's, I'm saying well, that sarcastically. It's been, yeah, it's been several years. So we'll find out what Jesse's up to. We'll get an update. He's got many things going on as always. Yes. I want to make sure that everybody knows that we pre-recorded this yesterday, uh, late in the day. And um, so this is coming, it's premiering right now in front of you, but it was pre-recorded. The chat is still open and I'm watching with you live right now. And I love, it, it actually gives me more opportunity to answer because uh, I can't really type and talk at the same time here. So if uh, you have any questions, feel free to write them in right now. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. Traven's going to run through them for you right now. I'm going to remind you, the show is also available as a podcast. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, is a free download. We are now podcasting audio only because we're reminding you that the archives of all of the live shows with video and sound are on YouTube. You guys seem to be responding to that really well. And uh, so we hope that you will check us out in podcasts. Remember to like us, share us, and to let other people know about us because we're free resources here at the Autism Network. So um, just wanted to say that, but we're saying hello to all of you and please feel free to continue to write in. And if you have questions for Jesse, 
uh, later when he's with us. You can be putting them into the chat and we'll make sure that Jesse gets all of those questions for you. But thrilled and delighted. Traven's showing you all the places right now on the screen. He's so good. Thank thank goodness for Traven. Uh, that's all I have to say. <laughs> so you well, Nancy? Yes. And um, it's that time of the month when you get to share with us what your son Wyatt has been up to in terms of art. We call this Why Art. Tell us what's been going on. Well, I went to the Turks and the Caicos back in last month and had an amazing time and went with some friends. So I had Wyatt paint sea turtles because we saw sea turtles there for all of my friends each one got one, and I think we had showed one of them, but he's got two more that he did. So um, I think Craven has those. There's one that he did. Wow. How gorgeous is that? Yeah. I love the colors. I know. And the coral and everything. And um, the clownfish. Right. And there's one other sea turtle. There you go. Oh my. Look at that neck. That's amazing. So those are the sea turtles. And then uh, recently he painted a red boat that everybody went crazy over. Yeah. Do you Uh, have that? Oh, look at that. Look at the reflection. It's just dynamite. So he did three of those because he sold three. So he did three separate paintings of the exact same Amazing. I got to tell you, I saw, was it yesterday that you, or sometime this week, you posted the palm trees, Nancy? Oh my gosh. There they are. Oh, it just speaks to me. It's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. You know, I, I think everybody knows I was born in Puerto Rico and, but we moved away from Puerto Rico. My dad was stationed there in the Air Force and we moved away when I was just a baby. But my parents brought back it, um, with them, it was a 3D painting. So it was a painting, but it had a 3D element to it. Um, but it was palm trees. And always when I was little, I loved that painting and I would love it so much. And my mother would always say, well, that's, you know, where you were born. It wasn't. I always pictured because it, it, the, the 3D part was uh, a shack that uh, by a palm tree on the beach. And I thought I was born in a shack. I was not. I was born in a hospital that's now a casino in actuality. They changed the hospital. It was a military hospital. It's now a casino. You can go there and gamble where I was born. Isn't that hilarious? And uh, they call us casino babies, the babies that were born there. But um, I've always, my entire life, been drawn to palm trees. And I, I live on a palm tree street now. And of course, I now I know all the hardships of palm trees because in a windstorm it's lethal. These things crack and come down. But I but there's something about palm trees that always sing to me. And when I saw that, Nancy, it just took my breath away. I was like, oh, the palm trees. It's gorgeous. Mm. The depth of color that he's using right now, it's just like what he did with that turtle's neck. Right. Um just amazing stuff, Nancy. Thank you, Shannon. I will let Wyatt know how much you enjoyed them. Oh, I love his work. But now tell people if we want to buy some of his work, how do we go about that, Nancy? They can contact us on his Instagram page or his Facebook page, which I believe uh, Traven has those addresses, Why Art Autism. Um, yes. Yeah. So Instagram and Facebook. Um, Wonderful. 
So that's generally how I connect with people. And it should be said for people that not only can they purchase work that he has already created. So if you see a painting that we show here, you can inquire. And if it hasn't already been purchased, you can purchase it. But we can also commission work, correct? Yes. Yes. He does lots of commissions of people's pets. It's a great, it's something he does quite often. They'll send in a photograph. And even portraiture now. He does people too. He does people as well. So um, what's that process like? Do you just send a photo, Nancy? A photo. Yeah. He goes from a photo. So we decide upon a photo and he goes from that. Love it. Love him. He's such a love and a brilliant, talented love. Uh, I always have said when you named him Wyatt Jackson, you knew what you were doing. Because isn't that the name? Doesn't that sound like a great American painter? Because it is. (laughs) Because it is. So there we go. Wonderful. Fabulous. Okay. So we've got some amazing news uh, stories that we want to cover. <coughs> Excuse me. And because I'm in a slightly different position, it's going to be super fun <coughs> for me. And now I have the coughs. And then we're going to get to our fabulous guests. So stick with us through that, you guys. So where do you want to start, Nancy, on the news? Uh, you want to start with this um, movement that the I Am movement? Yeah, let's start there. Yeah. Um, we have a mom, mm-hmm. uh, a mover and a shaker mom, um, named Tanika Davis. And when her son was diagnosed with autism at just two years old, she is what's known as a Warimi. You never heard that. W-O-R-I-M-I, mother, um, was confronted with a stigma about the developmental disorder, but she was also surprised at the lack of consideration that it gave to his indigenous culture. So um, she, they, they are an Aboriginal family, Shannon. Yeah. Yes. And she, I guess there was absolutely nothing about autism uh, and her Aboriginal, her Warimi roots. So she went about creating something, right? Mm-hmm. She took it upon yeah. herself her husband, Adrian, to gather information and contact other indigenous families dealing with autism. I love this. I, you know, it's fascinating to me. I don't know how you felt, but when our son was diagnosed and we started ABA, um, our team would ask us questions about our culture and our decisions of how we were raising our child. But for us, it was things like, I remember when they wanted to know, we're going to teach um, pronouns and, and we're going to teach labels and they were going to teach lady and man, but they were like, would you rather we teach woman and man first? And I loved that attention to detail. Um, because shortly after that, I I remember being introduced to a family that were Indian. And I mean, from the country, India, not, um, native American, just to be clear. And they were saying that, you know, culturally, there, there were things that were important to them that their behavior technicians didn't know. And, you know, it, it could be as simple as, you know, um, t- you know, a per- person eating with their hands versus eating with a fork. And that in mm-hmm. some cultures, it's not appropriate to teach a child to eat with a fork. You would teach them to eat with their hands. And how important that was to them because it... These are things that they would have been teaching their child, but now it was going to take more hours to teach their child. And so the team of people who were going to teach the child needed to know what they were teaching. And as the field has grown and as more families have started doing 
ABA interventions with their children and other interventions, not just ABA. It has, I love that the voices of parents have been rising saying it is important that you keep in mind our culture and preserving that because you're going to be a part of raising our child and that it's essential and important. I, I think it's, it's, it's it's sort of a duh, like, of course, but it's beautiful that parents are speaking up and it's beautiful that providers are showing interest in that and taking it to heart. And I really, I thought this was a beautiful story about how important that was to her and not just from a, an education point of view, but she says it, that it needs to be culturally safe. Mm-hmm. And I love looking at it that way, Nancy, right. because- when you're when you're teaching things to a child, if you're not teaching them in the way that is their upbringing, it can very quickly become unsafe. And if there are um, prejudices and uh, bigotry, like then it becomes wildly unsafe. But but we're learning more and more about microaggressions, and somebody cannot you know can easily think that they're coming from a place of kindness, but create a culturally unsafe environment. So I love that this mom is on it. Um, and we see this across many cultures. I, I, I just thought this was a lovely story. And um, if, if people want to check it out, I can't tell what the news source is on this. Uh, ABC Midcoast, uh, Midnose Course. It was ABC, but ABC out of um, Australia. Yes. So there and we are. And then we have our... Our second story is a real heartwarming story, um, and that is about a high school student um, who is on the autism spectrum who is thriving in a marching band. And yeah, um, yeah let's see what Brandon Fisher. Um, yes. And there was a wonderful uh, story video accompanying this story. He's at a Texas high school. And um, he has even been offered two full scholarships thanks to this skill. I love this. And I especially love this because it's a story coming out of Texas. Because if you guys remember, we covered a story uh, earlier this year about a Texas student who was in a marching band and was not going to get his diploma because he was on what they call TEKS in Texas. So he was on a modified curriculum and he was not being given the credit, the music credit from having been his marching band. So I, I love this other side of the coin. I love this story. And I, you know, I'm one of the many people lobbying hard for Texas to look at its special education laws and rules and the fact that they're, you know, making it hard for some individuals to get their diplomas in a way that is being questioned right now. But for this young man to be flourishing, what I love about that is that it sends the message that our kids can flourish and can do the work to such a point that colleges are noticing and saying, we want that on our campus. How much do we super love that? Um, Love that story. And that was on CBS. Uh, CBS This Morning is where they covered it. You guys can find that video. CBS Weekend News is where it was featured. And then our next story is out of Neuroscience News. And the headline is half of moms with aut- kids with autism have high depressive symptoms. 
It's not a shot, right? And what, yeah, what do we want to say about that? Duh. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it helps the us tell the rest of the world that we need more services and more yeah. help and more support in this area. Uh, right? And also, hold on a minute. That was my phone. Sorry about that. We, they did go on to say, however, Shannon, that we found mothers' higher symptoms of, prep, of depression did not predict increases in child's behavior problems over time. Yeah. So yes. that's encouraging on that part. On that part. And we, co- we covered a couple of months ago when we were talking about this and looking at the study that looked at, at children, I think it was in Japan, parents in Japan and parents in the United States, um, and depression and how prevalent it was, and that in cultures, they saw that the severity of the child was not indicative of the level of depression. So I also want to put it in there, too, that not only, you know, if we're having depression symptoms, that is not tied, you know, this whole refrigerator mom saying, oh, well, that's why the kiddo is doing, that's all poppycock, but also that, you know, it can affect people across this spectrum. So you can have a child who's doing well and still have a parent who's doing depression as well as having a parent who's got a child with big challenges having depression. So important to note uh, because it doesn't get talked about enough. And then our last story is one that makes me want to scream. Primarily Shannon, because I, it's it's pretty dense. Okay. Um, So, and we're, this is something that is coming to us from Spec News. You know, we love them. Great, respected yeah. uh, place to find autism news, especially about research. And they often have a very interesting take on things. So Peter Hess has written an article that's titled Pathological Demand Avoidance in Autism Explained. And I think it's a great article, and I encourage everybody to read it, especially if you have a kiddo who is um, you're having a high degree of difficulty with them um, doing things that you ask them to do. And I will tell you, we recently did a show about compliance, and this is a very sticky subject, right? Because people get a lot of feelings going with this. Um, But this pathological demand avoidance and, um, and other things of this nature, there's also, what is it? Oppositional defiant disorder. Um, Yes. That a lot of people will get uh, that ODD. I think this one is less prevalent, but we are starting to see it rear its ugly head that people are saying that their child is being diagnosed with pathological demand avoidance. And I have some real concerns, and I think the author has some real concerns about this, and I think that a lot of people who work in the field have some real concerns about this because it's basically saying that these are individuals, it's a disorder that they don't want to do things even if they're good for them. And and I find this deeply troublesome because if you're talking about a four-year-old, how would a four-year-old know? A four-year-old is having an experience and you set broccoli in front of a four-year-old. A four-year-old is not going to sit there and go through the whole hierarchy of, well, broccoli is high in vitamin A and K, so I should eat it even though it tastes bad. That's preposterous, right? But the four-year-old is going to say, no, I don't want the broccoli. 
explaining to the four-year-old that it's good for you because it's high in all these vitamins is not what's going to get it done. Um, and diagnosing them and saying, well, they're avoiding doing the things. And I, I took a ridiculous example and said broccoli because I wanted to bring it down to a level that we could all understand. But for a lot of you, especially as your child gets a little bit older, you're, you will see that there will be times that you will ask your child to do something and they will do anything to not do it. And I think that all kids go through a phase of this and they, they will do, and, and it might even be something that they want to do. And it's very disconcerting to a parent because you're like, why is my child doing this? And I would be very concerned if somebody was telling you that it was pathological demand avoidance, I, I would make sure that you were working with a behaviorist that looked at a whole bunch of other things first, because we take the position here that all behavior is communication. And that if a child is acting out, that is not a part of their autism diagnosis. There is no part of the autism diagnosis that says that they will engage in challenging behavior, that they will hit, they will scratch, they will bite, they will kick. That's not part of an autism diagnosis. And from a behavior standpoint, the, the bottom line has always been they're doing it for a reason because they're not able to communicate what it is that they do want to you in a way that's more effective. And, and so the field says, let's work on helping them by finding out what it is that they do want, teaching them a more effective way of getting it, and then everybody's life will be better, right? But when you start saying, oh, well, it's just pathological demand avoidance, then the impetus to do something for them to be able to communicate it's more on that side of things of, oh, well, then I guess that's what they have. And then the interventions for it are less intense. Now, there's a reason why some people would want that, um, because sometimes people are using interventions in a way that is, um, you know, there are people who are saying trauma is being caused by interventions. And I, I believe them. I think that that is true. But I also believe that there is a way. I believe, and what experts have taught me, is that when you have a child who is in opposition to doing something that it's, that's good for them, it's either because they want something else that's more pressing, right? Like, what I want to do is eat ice cream. I don't want broccoli. And the reward for eating broccoli and having it be healthy for me is not immediate and is not enough for me to want to eat broccoli. And again, back to this really simple example, but for instance, if you're, you know, dealing with a child who is upset and tantruming and what they wanted was free time to play their iPad, there are kids that even if you gave them their iPad, and we don't want to do this if they're tantruming to get the iPad. But if you did give them the iPad, they throw the iPad and they don't want the iPad anymore. So, and parents go, well, see, so it wasn't that they wanted the iPad. But they forget that there are four usual suspects for why there's challenging behavior. And the fifth one, which is control. And we all want control. And sometimes the only way to be in control is to say no to something even if it's something you want. And if what I want is control, then I will say no to something that's good for me. I will say no to something that I actually want because we all need to have a feeling of control. So I love this article because I think it puts a big question mark on, should we really be diagnosing this? Is it really a pathological um, 
you know, issue, or is it that the person doesn't have a better way of communicating? It sets off big warning signs for me, and I'm not the only one. I think if your child gets diagnosed with this, read this article, talk to professionals who deal with this kinds of behavior all the time. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. Um, it, it probably does. But for an individual who's on the autism spectrum, who has communication issues, I don't think that this should be the default. I think it should be looked at. Does this person have a way of communicating what is important to them? And when it's control, the fix for that is giving the person control, giving them more options to be autonomous. Um, and they may not be able to be autonomous on the thing that we're, you know, trying to get them to do that's good for them. But if you give them autonomy to choose, even within that, okay, so what you need to do is eat the broccoli. Do you want to eat the broccoli now or do you want to eat the broccoli later? Would you like to take a break and have some chocolate first and then eat the broccoli? I don't know. But but we give them choices within it, even when it's something that, you know, that they don't want to do for another reason. But the communication piece for me is huge, Nancy. If we're not teaching individuals on the spectrum a method of communication that works for them, we are going to get oppositional behavior. That is a that is a big fat duh, and they've done the studies on that. But I think like labeling it a pathological disorder um, ah, doesn't work for me. That's my feeling on it. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So thank you, anyway. for, um... <laughs> okay. I, don't, I don't know that that uh, unpacks it that's helpful to anybody. We have, uh, before we go to our guest, yes, we're going to, we have an important message that we want to share, um, that we've been sharing. Uh, I I would love for people to take a, because if this affects you, you're definitely going to want to participate. Uh, so take a look at this message from our friends at Shapiro Legal Group. Take a look. A recent study funded by the National Institute of Health suggests that there may be a higher risk of autism in children whose mother took the pain reliever acetaminophen during pregnancy. Acetaminophen is the active ingredient in scores of over-the-counter products, including Tylenol, Excedrin, and Robitussin. So if your child was diagnosed with autism and you took any acetaminophen product while pregnant, this commonly recommended over-the-counter medication may be responsible though additional research is ongoing. If you or a loved one used Tylenol or other medications containing acetaminophen while pregnant and later gave birth to a child diagnosed with autism, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Shapiro Legal Group is now evaluating potential legal claims by parents of autistic children. Call right now to see if you may be entitled to financial compensation. There are time deadlines to file a claim, so don't wait. You can reach Shapiro Legal Group at 888-657-0455. Again, that number is 888-657-0455. You can also contact Shapiro Legal Group by going to shapirolegalgroup.com forward slash autism. Shapiro Legal Group, PLLC, associates with attorneys throughout the country to help people nationwide and is licensed in New York and Washington, D.C., and has its principal office at 60 East 42nd Street, New York, New York. This ad was read by a non-attorney spokesperson. 
Welcome back. We encourage you to please call that number. It's very important to share that information. And thank you for watching that. Nancy, we've got a great guest. Yes, we do. We've had him on the show before, but it's been a number of years. Uh, Jesse Saperstein is a best-selling author, autism advocate, and motivational speaker. Um, he is a very respected leader in the anti-bullying movement, and he has Asperger's syndrome, um, and he visits schools on a regular basis. Um, he's been very successful at wiping out bullying uh, with his presentations. He was part of the Keeping It Real project with New York University that helped introduce an anti-bullying curriculum in New York City public schools. He's also a published author. He wrote Atypical Life with Asperger's in 20 and a third chapters, which is how I found him. I found his book in the bookstore at my husband's alma mater. And he had a business card inside and I read it and called him right afterwards to get to know him. His second book is Getting a Life with Asperger's, Lessons Learned on the Bumpy Road to Adulthood. And we're also going to talk about, to him about his role as the media and activities liaison for the college experience, which is a program that gives individuals with disabilities the ability to attend, attend a mainstream college with a modified degree. Wow, I'm out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jesse. It's a pleasure to be here, Nancy and Shannon. Yes, great to have you. Why don't we start? I met you because of one of your books. Why don't we? You tell us just a little bit about your books and uh, why you wrote them, what's contained in them. My first book is Atypical Life with Asperger's 20 and one third chapters. And I wrote it because I wanted people to understand who we really are. Everyone with Asperger's is different, but for the most part, we mean well, we're doing the best we can. And oftentimes, when we solve one big problem, we create yet another one, at least one other problem. And to us, the new problem may be less severe than the one we just fixed, but society does not always see it that way. Uh, unfortunately, they do not see it like the advocates do. And we have to advocate for ourselves as well, in, in addition to people like you fighting for us on top of that. And uh, someone with Asperger's once described it as the following. It's like you get to a mountain and number one, you're not near the top like you thought you were. And even if you are, you're asked, why did it take you so long to get there? Yeah. And it's critical to also understand that no matter how much progress we make, it is never gonna be perfect. We cannot and will not expect every single person in the world to accept us. And that's just the case with everybody, I think. Right. Well, uh, Jesse, we wanted to talk to you today about, um, in, in addition to your efforts with wiping out bullying, which we'll get to that in a minute, let's talk about your role as the media and activities liaison for the college experience. Can you tell us? what that is and what you do with them? Well, I'm very privileged to work for an amazing agency called Living Resources, and they've partnered with the College of St. Rose to create this program that was founded back in 2005. 
and it allows college students to attend the College of St. Rose with a modified curriculum. We teach them a great deal of practical life skills, such as cleaning, um, basic hygiene, cooking, and most important, in my opinion, internships, how to build soft skills and function in the adult world. My favorite expression is, you're, in a, you're somebody with a, you're, you're an adult first and somebody with a disability second. Mm. And I like that expression and it's how I've lived my life because uh, the world meets nobody halfway. Amazing. And so Jesse, tell us a little bit about who's the perfect candidate for this program. Um, for families that are watching, you know, maybe their kids would be a, a right fit for this. I think that anybody who is not able to reach their full potential in a mainstream college with an oftentimes relentless curriculum, uh, somebody who's motivated because obviously disability or not, somebody who's not motivated to achieve their goals and just wants to vegetate as well as create many problems would not be a good candidate. They have to want to be in the program and they should also view mistakes as opportunities that come with thorns and in many cases the mistake is what is the catalyst for success okay and i'm assuming the mistake that we're talking about is that a lot of times people uh look at an individual who's on the spectrum and think that they're not capable and this is often uh, erroneous and what we would call a mistake because they're very capable given the right supports, which is what you're doing, providing those supports, correct? That's right. Uh, and another expression I have is there's a huge difference between somebody with a disability and somebody who is disabled. Mm. And the two are not intertwined. Um, for example, uh, this is not the type of people we typically support, but I'm gonna, uh, without revealing his name, I'm gonna give you an example of someone I worked with a long time ago who has a disability, but is also disabled. Uh, he was the most unmotivated person I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, it, it, he always borrowed money so he would not have to work. And if uh, he ever paid someone back, it was with somebody else's money. And, uh, he'd promise to be somewhere and not only would he not show up, but he'd not answer his phone on top of that. So that's a rare occurrence of uh, somebody who's disabled and the students I work with, uh, the majority of them, actually nearly all of them are not like that. And the ones who are, they typically make some form of progress from my experience. I got to say, Jesse, my mother would have loved that expression. My mother was born with a disability, a physical disability, but she, her whole life would say to people, I am not disabled. And the truth was my mother was the most capable person I've ever met in my entire life. She couldn't run and she couldn't walk upstairs, but she was the most capable person I had ever met. So she would have hugged you for having said that. That's an important distinction to make. Your mother sounded uh, like she is a, an amazing woman. And I, she was. I, I, uh, is she still around? 
She is not, unfortunately. She she died about 10 years ago now. Um, but she her legacy lives on. The woman was was incredibly capable. But it's it, it I think it's something that speaks to all of us when we're talking about ourselves, about our kids. I love Howie Mandel started saying, let's not talk about disability, let's talk about this ability. Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed that. Um it is. Yeah. Uh, so if people are interested in, uh, you know, finding out more, if they've got, because uh, it's senior year for a lot of people out there and they're looking for colleges to go to, how would they find out more about the program, Jesse? The, the webpage is www.thecollegeexperience.org. And um, I create the blog entries for the webpage. So you can go to the blog section and see all the adventures. Um, you can also contact Colleen Dergesitz and her information is on the web page too. Uh, actually, um, that I may be wrong. I, I, I believe that a new person uh, is the admissions coordinator and she was promoted. So you're gonna have to look on the webpage. Uh, this is why I, always prefer that my incredible supervisor jennifer richard uh is on these things with me to answer all these questions because i'm always worried about giving the wrong information but you can also contact me at jesse a saperstein um, at gmail.com for more information very good very good now jesse while we have you here today i mean we wanted to get that important information out but there's a there's a whole list of things that you speak about and that you think are really important for individuals who are adults on the spectrum to know and be mindful of. They're sort of, I looked at the list and I thought, oh my gosh, these are the kinds of things that even a well-intentioned person, if they didn't understand what was happening, could easily fall into a trap. Um, Do you want to start to talk about some of those? Because I think... um, I think this is like the most important stuff that we need to be talking about, especially with our adult males on the spectrum, because I've seen a lot of people get into problems legal and with authorities because their actions are misinterpreted. Yes, that's a extremely relevant topic. And I'd say that just about any adult male on the autism spectrum will create a misunderstanding at some point. Um, That may involve the authority figures. The other option is to hide in a cave and not take chances to avoid trouble. Um, And uh, just because somebody makes progress, they do not have to be perfect. Uh, They just need to be close enough to perfect that they can diffuse any misunderstandings or it's not escalated to the point where legal action is justified. Uh, Something that essentially doomed me, uh, particularly when I was much younger, is I cannot stand it when people disappear. And my thoughts are, darn it, you were good friends yesterday. Everything was fine. Now you're not answering my messages. Do we have a fight? Did I say something? Just tell me what the problem is. We'll talk about it, and I won't do it again, I promise. And sometimes people are not willing to give that mercy and closure, they just want the individual to, to move on and get the message. Well, we do not always get the message. A tactic that has worked for me is incremental backing off. 
Uh, I just had a situation where I was, uh, I thought I was good friends with a young woman for well over a year and she disappeared. I was going insane. So I spaced out my contact attempts weeks apart. And when the police inevitably did call, I was able to explain, you know, something I, it seemed like I was backing off and I, I can show you the transcript as well. And the officer said, I've already seen that and you've done nothing wrong. And, uh, you know, police officers, they're not villains, regardless of what's portrayed on TV. The worst that usually happens, unless the persistence is out of control with threats made, is that uh, the person with autism will just be warned, uh, you should try to stay away from this person, this woman or whoever it is. Um, But it's critical to understand that sometimes you're you're not going to get the closure you just won't and you have to compete with the free will of others which is near impossible mm-hmm. yeah those are important lessons for us to, to understand and jesse you've been involved extensively in anti-bullying tell us about some of your efforts with that um, I, first of all, like many people with Asperger's, especially those who grew up in the 1990s, I was a victim of near constant bullying. Some years were much better than others. Other years, it seemed like nothing ever went right. And I think bullying evolves as one gets older. At my age, I'm not typically called an effing loser or told that the world would be better off if I were not in it. Um, I've dealt with such cruelty, but now it's more in the uh, venue of so-called constructive criticism that's unfair and, in my opinion, absolutely ridiculous. Um, For example, I helped save my best friend's life on the Dr. Phil show, who was over 650 pounds. Believe it or not, I've received criticism over that too. People have made it out to be like I'm against overweight people or that I, um, or someone said, I'd be very offended if someone submitted me to that show. Or uh, sometimes the criticism is well-intentioned, but just asinine, such as if someone says, you try too hard or you're too uptight. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it has taken 40 years to get to the point where I'm trying so hard to not say the wrong things. And I'm very proud of myself. You should be, Jesse. Yeah. I want to go back and talk a little bit more about this because I I think we've seen several times that wonderful, loving, sweet, caring people on the spectrum who have nothing but pure intentions are get stalking charges because they, you know, they had a friend or they were in a romantic relationship with someone. And as you said, a lot of times in, in the, in the horrible, harsh world, people ghost people. There's actually a phrase for it. They, you know, that somebody left the relationship without breaking up and ghosted the person and gave them no reasons why. Um, it's very common amongst young people. And yet for, for someone, for anyone, 
that feels harsh and horrible and terrible. And for a person who's had a communication deficit and been taught that when communication isn't working to be persistent, this ends up with a stalking charge. So talk with us. You, you mentioned a little bit the, the backing off, but there's something else you wrote to us about that I had never heard of before that's called pro uh, pro Prodonsense. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that either. Explain, define that for us and tell us about it. Well, uh, the pro-donsense, it has nothing to do with uh, avoiding stalking allegations, but maybe it could help as far as focusing time and energy on more productive things, because I'm also a believer in the expression, idle hands are the devil's workshop. So when somebody on the autism spectrum is twiddling their thumbs, there's a good chance they may think of that person who ghosted them and put all their energy toward trying to force that person back into their life. But pro-donsense is simply a hybrid of productivity and utter nonsense. Uh, I look back on my childhood and think, how could I have wasted so much time playing video games and watching Nick Jr. all day long? I, I think of all the productive things I could have done with that idle time instead of vegetating. So it's possible to do both, in my opinion. Pro-donsense is something we all practice. Nobody likes watching, uh, no one likes watching, uh, I don't know, uh, something on uh, TV that they have to watch because it's an educational program. But at the same time, maybe it will help to watch that uh, documentary we need to view for work if we're uh, playing with a fidget cube or uh, twiddling with something like a old-fashioned toy as we're watching this uh, boring program. And if we're watching a fun program, we can also combine that with, say, washing dishes. Uh, we can use uh, dishwashing or holding laundry as an excuse to watch a cartoon with our children without feeling like we're wasting time or regressing. Love it. Love okay. It. Hey. Hold on, what about incremental backing off? Tell us about um, that. You, you get more mats with Kenoshka Waski oil than you do with Dozi sauce. And <laughs> just so you know, that's gibberish they just made up those words but you understand what i'm trying to say um if you, t if you tell someone on the autism spectrum back off you're a pain in the butt you're gonna get accused of stalking that may make the individual become more persistent more angry and they'll feel like someone is not considerate of their feelings when they're clearly in love with this person they want in their lives but if that if that parent or teacher says, I know it's not fair for you to have to avoid this person for the rest of your life, that's asking a lot, but maybe you can wait two weeks uh, and then gingerly approach that person. And then if they're not receptive, wait another two weeks. Mm -hmm. And if the police contact you, which is very unlikely, then tell them that, I put you up to it, you know, say that I gave you permission to back off and uh, give them my phone number and I'll straighten it out. 
adults need to tell individuals on the autism spectrum, uh, I'm on your side. And on another note, it's important to counsel individuals and explain that just because uh, you're making an effort to back off, that may not mean that the other person cares. Sometimes a whole year of backing off is still not enough. That person is not going to reciprocate. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have absolutely no tolerance or respect for people who disappear permanently when there's no reason to disappear. I have a once close relative who I thought would be my life forever. And he's not spoken to me and just about anyone else in my family for 20 years. And that's really hard, but it's not going to change. I think that incremental backing off just respects someone's feelings and gives them a way to be persistent without getting into too much trouble. Amazing. And Jesse, another, uh, our last thing that we wanted to talk about is that there's a growing problem with catfishing um, and people taking advantage of individuals who are on the autism spectrum. What, what can you tell us to help our young adults and adults that are on the spectrum to, to be careful and safe and, and for us to protect them? Basically, uh, I want to tell you how many times in 40 years the broken clock has struck the right time. I'm not doing the Girl Scout symbol. I'm just saying twice. That's how many times a woman 10 years younger and 10 times more beautiful than myself genuinely wanted to be in a romance with me. Um, I think it's critical to have realistic expectations and understand that If something way out of the ordinary happens, you need to have your red flags up immediately. And I'm man enough to admit that there should be nothing about me that conjures up a gorgeous woman who looks like a European princess uh, on a beach who's contacting me from her Facebook. Uh, You know, why me? And that's not saying that I'm hideously ugly or anyone else is. It just means that uh, people need to um, they need to say if it seems too good to be true, it most likely is. And some signs of catfishing are erratic communication, people asking for money, and making excuses as to, as to why they cannot talk on the phone or meet in person, such as medical emergencies, being kidnapped by pirates. I want to say this because it's important. There is no such thing as any romantic partner so handsome and or beautiful that anyone deserves to be strung along and treated like toxic waste. It is not worth it. And even if that person were real with genuine romantic intentions, if they are a toxic human being, then that beauty will wear off pretty darn fast. Bless your heart, Jesse. It sounds like you've, you've experienced some of it. I've got dog barking, guys. I've got dogs outside my door going crazy. Can you hear that? Somebody's delivering packages to Nancy. Uh, normally, it's my dog losing her mind. I also want to tell you that, um, unfortunately, the uh, banks are not able to suspend someone's account, even if they're 98% sure that all the money suddenly being withdrawn is going toward 
uh, Apple gift cards for someone's imaginary girlfriend. And that just sickens me. Whether or not there be legal consequences, uh, I would take a stand if I were a bank manager and say, uh, Johnny, I've taken the liberty of checking your Facebook. I know about your girlfriend in uh, Nigeria or wherever they, uh, they're really from. And you've never withdrawn so much money in the past. I know where this is going. Uh, you know, tell me what's going on. But until we get to the bottom of this, I'm not allowing you access to your accounts. And I will contact all your family members. And bank tellers, in my opinion, they should have uh, emergency authorization to suspend accounts for the person's own protection. Well, I think you'll get a lot of pushback on that from people saying, you know, are they qualified to do that? But Jesse, tell me, like, I'm so old and out of it. How is it that people, what do we need to be telling our young adults so that they can't have their account access? Like, how does somebody scam somebody into getting that? Do they just ask for it and say, can I just, I, I need $10 from your account? Or how does something like that happen? Typically, it starts off very small. Um, I, I had an experience with a woman who was drop-dead gorgeous, and she has, uh, I, I, I call it infamy. She's, uh, uh, she has kind of a, a sob story, but I've seen signs that she may be a narcissist. So uh, what happened was the woman asked me to, to uh, I guess, Venmo or PayPal her about $5 so her daughter could watch The Princess Diaries. Then about two hours later, she asked, uh, do you mind sending me another $5? Now she wants to see the sequel. And they often start out very small and then uh, build their way up to bigger increments. Uh, How do whenever, they eventually get your account number, though? Uh, they uh, Sometimes they ask for... Uh, they. I'm not sure how they get the account number, what, but what happens is they will get your Facebook. Uh, that's how they scam people. And through Facebook, they can access other things belonging to the person. Uh, it's typical for someone to say, I lost my account. Can you please help me restore my password? And then you uh, get a, a code in your email and they want the code. Anytime someone needs help, uh, with their password, you need to smarten up immediately and ask many questions only that person will be able to answer. Okay. And if they're not able to answer it, well, number one, don't help them with their password no matter what. But if they're not able to answer it, just say, not my problem. Uh, you know, uh, you don't sound like uh, Justine or whoever you're pretending to be. So, uh, you know, see ya. Yeah. I want to tell you, I, I play this game where I string them along. I pretend to panic or fall for the scam, and I keep them on the phone or computer for as long as possible so they're wasting all their time with me as I'm practicing pro-nonsense, doing something that's also productive while stringing them along. And typically, they call me the mf -er word. That's usually their go-to word. Yeah. 
Wow, Jesse, I got to tell you, I think there's a book here of just tips and things that that adults on the spectrum need to be aware of and wary of. And I think not only would adults on the spectrum read that, but I as a parent would get that book to know because it, it never occurred to me. Um, I've had a couple of other adults, and I'm sure you have, Nancy, that that talk about these kinds of scams, but I had no idea that it starts with, can you send me $5, and that then they take over your Facebook account. That's Where did I? Just very illuminating conversation, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, you've been involved in the anti-bullying movement. Can you, um, maybe if, if parents out there listening and those on the spectrum listening that are the victims of bullying. Can you give us some advice on that? Um, first of all, my uh, wisdom toward problems is that when you're dealing with the problem, that means you should see it as too late. A lot of emphasis should be done on prevention, but most important, uh, building someone's self-esteem and sense of worth so they're not destroyed by a random comment. And uh, sometimes it's full-blown, relentless bullying. Other times it's what's called a mean moment. And um, we have to uh, abide by the expression, um, uh, let the biggest enemy you deal with be yourself. When we defeat the enemy from within, the, en the enemy outside can do us no harm. That's an old African proverb. Uh, so number one, build uh, your child's sense of worth. And number two, uh, teach them to recognize when someone is just a extremely negative individual. And a lot of times people on the autism spectrum, they want the bully to be their friend. They want to win them over. And trying to do that is like using a wine glass to bail out the Titanic. Sometimes the person comes around. Other times they're not meant to like someone as amazing as an individual on the autism spectrum. Mm. Wise, wise words, Jesse. So Jesse, again, if people wanted to uh, reach out to know more about uh, the program that you're involved with at Santa Rosa, um, where would they contact? Well, they, they would contact, I just remembered the woman's name, Kristen McErnie, and you can find her, her name and email on the webpage, but the, Webpage What's once the again www.thecollegeexperience.org. Yeah. And I also, in regards to the anti-bullying movement, what would be really powerful uh, would be to have individuals on the autism spectrum or those who have been brutally bullied come to visit schools and tell their tale of woe and eventual success. What I tell students is that I've not really changed since I was a young child. I'm still really weird, uh, but now it's appreciated. And people now see the qualities such as integrity, punctuality, and character as cool, especially at the workplace. Yeah. And hey. you are, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead Nancy. Oh, I was going to say, I don't know how much time we have. We're out of time. We're out of time. Okay. But I just wanted to say, Jesse, you're handsome, intelligent, kind, considerate, and those are all the most amazing qualities. So I, we wish you nothing but happiness in this world. And I'm sorry, it sounds like you've had a rough time of it. 
Well, um, I'm very fortunate to have lived two extremely different lives and realities on the autism spectrum. And I have to say, at the age of 40, things are a lot closer to hunky-dory. But as I said earlier, it is never, ever going to be perfect. And we have to embrace that reality, too. Amazing. Well, thank you for those words of wisdom, Jesse. We've really enjoyed having you on the show today. And best of luck in all your future endeavors. You're always so busy. We'll be keeping track of uh, your new ventures. Thank you so much, Nancy and Shannon. You're both incredible beautiful ladies, by the way, and it's a blessing to be partners with you. Thank you so much, Jesse. You take care. You too. Thank you so much. Bye. And Nancy, tomorrow, as we sign off here, tomorrow we are um, showing stories from the spectrum. That's our Friday fair here at Autism Network. And then it's Labor Day weekend here And uh, all next week, including Labor Day, we're going to be showing um, some of our favorite episodes from this summer uh, that we've done with Dr. Doreen and from Parent to Parent, uh, because we're letting our our lovely Traven have a couple of days off. And while he's off, I'm going to be working hard because we're working on the toy guide now and getting our schedule uh, set for the So we're going to be back on that Monday, a week from Labor Day live. But until then, we've got some great shows for people that they might have missed that we're going to replay during this next week. Um, But and then we'll we'll catch back up with everybody. We're really excited for some of the programming that we're going to bring. But we're we're out of time. I want to thank you for being here with us, Nancy, and thank uh, Jesse and thank everybody. We will be back live a week from Monday. And until then, give your kiddos a hug for me. And give yourselves a hug for me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.